Christmas services are going to be hipster vibes. They're going to be super cool. Uh, we're excited. We're getting ready for that. So it's a great service to invite friends and family to. We're going to have uh, overflow space and marquee tents, and we're going to have enough space to accommodate whoever comes. So just come along on Christmas Sunday. But uh, I'm excited to share for you this, uh, this Thanksgiving Sunday. I feel like I have a, a message on my heart that's kind of been bursting uh, from me. I, I, I was like preaching in the car on the way home last night from our Alpha because I was just so excited to share with you. So buckle up. Um, and, and we're going to get into it. I want to start by asking this question. Uh, have you ever wondered why you are here? Like why you're here? Not here at Grace Family Church. Like why you're here on this earth? Why you're alive? Have you ever wondered, you know, what is God's will for my life? You know, what has God called me to? What, what, what's my purpose? Well, what if I told you the answer is right here in the Scriptures? 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 18, these are Paul's words. He says a bunch of stuff, and then he says, for this is God's will for your life. It's right there. Now, if Paul said, if the Apostle Paul was standing speaking to me and said, Tom, this is God's will for your life, I'd want to know what the this is. So we're going to go back and we're going to read what the this is. And there's three particular things, but we're going to back up a little bit further uh, to discover what Paul has to say. So going back to verse 12, don't cheat now and read the, okay. Verse 12 says this, uh, if you're wondering about my glasses are weird, it's because my wife rolled on them and broke them. Um, you see how cool that is? It's just like levitating. That's when having a big nose is super helpful. Okay, so uh, hips of vibes, hips of vibes. <laughs> i break the other one and just let it rest there, like Morpheus in, in, the, in the Matrix. Anyway, verse 12. It's super weird, but I don't have contact lens. Okay, verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. That would be pastors, preachers, spiritual leaders. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. And then he says this. Live in peace with each other. There's a whole sermon. There's a whole series. There's a whole life's work. Live in peace with each other. How we're doing on this one? How are you doing on this one? Do you have peace in your heart? Do you have peace in your relationships? Do you have peace? The, the, the promised land is described in the scriptures as good and spacious and flowing with milk and honey. It's a great lens to evaluate your life, every area of your life, your finances, your relationships. Is it good? Is my marriage good? Is it spacious? Is it flowing? Is there milk? Milk is around sustenance. Is it sustainable? Is it sweet? Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, I'm going line by line here, are you with me? And we urge you, brothers and sisters, Paul is reminding us who we are, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ, that we are made in His image, adopted into His family. He says, warn those who are idle and disruptive. And the word warn here in the Greek is the same word that Paul uses in verse 12 when he speaks about those who admonish you. The word admonish is not the teo. It's to caution or reprove gently. And the key here is gently. This is, hey man, I see this in your life. 
and, and, and out of love for you, I don't think that this is going to lead you down a path that will bring you to, bring you to life. I think it's a path that will lead you to, to sadness, to death. This is not what you or God or, or I or the people who love you want for your life. It's gently reproving, cautioning. It says, warn those who are idle and disruptive. The word disruptive here, it's, it's only, it's, I can't pronounce the Greek, but it it's only appears once in the New Testament. And what it means is it means like unarranged, like disorganized. You could say unruly. It's like, it's like a, the image I have is of like a, a disorganized room where things are like kind of lying all over the place. There's no order. And, and Paul's saying, warn those who are disorganized, unruly. Their life is not in order and help them to tidy some things up in their lives. Not self-righteously, not judgmentally, but lovingly. He says, encourage the disheartened. Some of you are disheartened today. Walk with those who are hurting. Extend grace to those who need grace. He says, help the weak. Use your strength to help those who are not strong. Because guess what? Sometime in your life, you're going to be the weak one. And you're going to be incredibly grateful. And I'm going to be incredibly grateful when there are strong people around me who can lift me up. Help the weak, he says. The word help here means to hold fast or support. It's like a, like a scaffolding, like a crutch. It's like, a, it's like you have this image of someone propping someone else up and walking alongside them. Help the weak. In other words, you could say be kind. Be kind to everyone you meet because they're fighting a battle that you know nothing about. Andy Stanley says this, kindness is lending someone your strength without reminding them of their weakness. It's a beautiful thing when we see kindness. Uh, Margaret Mead, a famous uh, anthropologist, she kind of does these archaeological digs and she studies ancient civilization. And she was doing a lecture once and the students asked her, you know, what's the first sign of civilization that you look for? And they were expecting, you know, uh, you know clay pots and stone tools and, 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 you know, these kinds of things. That would, that would uh, describe the early signs of civilization. And she said, no, the, the early sign of civilization is a broken femur. It's a broken thigh bone. And she went on to explain that, that, that in the animal kingdom, if you break your leg, you die. You cannot run from danger. You can't get to the river to drink or hunt for food. You're, you're literally meat for prowling beasts. No animal survives a broken leg long enough for the bone to heal. And so a broken femur that is healed is evidence that someone has taken time to stay with that injured person. That, is, that, they, that they've bound up the wound, that they've carried the person to safety, brought them food, tended to them uh, through their recovery. And this is what she says. She says, helping someone else through difficulty is where civilization starts. Here's the truth. We are best. We are at our best when we are serving others. Let's be civilized. Let's be kind. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. I love Paul. He like writes just this little side note. Be patient with everyone. <laughs> <laughs> That's hard. <laughs> I find it hard to be patient with the three people that I live, live with, um, let alone with everyone. <laughs> but I'm learning. I'm a slow learner. <laughs> You're laughing too loud there, KG. <laughs> I'm reading this, uh, I'm listening to this podcast called Fight, Hustle, End, Hurry. 
and it comes out of this book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's a fantastic book by a guy named John Mark Comer. And he talks about, uh, in the book, he talks about spiritual practices, spiritual formations that Christians have been doing for, for, for thousands of years. Practices like silence, solitude, prayer. These are all such important practices to help us to be patient. He talks about the practice of obscurity. I love it. Obscurity is like what Jess said last week. It's like when we get out of the spotlight, we weren't designed for the center. Obscurity is, is doing something awesome and not telling anyone about it. Oh, <laughs> shock horror. Don't post it on Facebook. Wow. Just do something and, and don't tell anyone about it. These are practices. But what I, what I realized throughout this series, it's like a 10-part podcast series, and what I realized is that none of the practices, whether it's silence, solitude, prayer, Sabbath, none of the practices are for the practice sake. The, the practices are always a means to an end, not an end in itself. So we, we practice silence or we practice listening so that we can be better listeners throughout the week, right? We, we practice rest. We call it, you know, we rest for one day a week. Christians call it the Sabbath. We rest not for Sabbath's sake, but so that we can live from a rested space for the rest of our week. It's so important. We, we, we train, we physical exercise. Why? We train for maybe, you know, 30 minutes a day. Why? So that, not for the training's sake, but that so that I can run around with my kids and not get out of breath. It's for life. That, I mean, that's, I have to train a lot more than half an hour a day for that. We read the Word of God, not to read the Word of God, not out of some religious practice, but to get the Word of God in us so that it flows out of us in our everyday lives. You can't give to people what you don't have. So when you're filling, if you're not filling yourself with that, it's not going to come out of you just automatically. We have to get it into us. And for me as a preacher, this is a risk because I can, I can read the Bible to do this. I take the sermon and I just, and I'm telling you, you will die and I will die if I do that. I've got to do this. I've got to put it into me, get it in me, and then I can come and it will overflow into the lives of those. And it's the same for every single one. What we focus on enlarges, what goes into our minds comes out in our lives. So what are you filling yourself with? Be patient with everyone. That's not going to happen on its own. We're going to have to practice it. And I love one of the practices in this stuck out to me is the practice of empathy. Sure, we need empathy in our world. But the line that stuck out to me in the podcast is the guy said, you know what the opposite of empathy or compassion is? Hurry. The opposite of compassion is hurry. I'll tell you how I know this. Try get your kids to school when you're in a rush and see how compassionate you are. When you've got time, lots of compassion. No time, no compassion. They actually did a study uh, where it was in one of Malcolm Gladwell's book uh, where they took these Bible study students, 100 Bible students at a seminary, and they had a lecture on the Good Samaritan. You know the story of the man left on the side of the road, no one stopped to help. And they do this lecture on the Good Samaritan. And then they tell the students, okay, guys, it was an experiment. Tell the students, you've got another lecture. You're in building A. You've got to get to building B. It's a 10-minute walk. You better get there quick. You're already late. And these students marched off to their next lecture. And along the way, they actually had an actor who was lying on the side of the road pretending to be uh, wounded. And he needed help. And you know, 5% of these Bible students stopped. 5%. 
they did this experiment again with another group of students. Same lecture, same everything, good Samaritan. And they said, okay, guys, your next lecture is in building B, but don't worry, you've got lots of time. Do you know that 75% of the students stopped to help the guy? 70%, 70% increase simply because of time or a perception of how much time they had. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. Paul is talking about justice here, about ending the cycle of revenge and blame and finger pointing. And then he kind of sums it all up, verse 15. But always strive to do what is good. Say good. For each other and for everyone else. The word here for good in the Greek means, wait for it, good. <laughs> yeah. Good. Always strive to do what is good. That's the title of my message today. Here for good. You want to know why you're here? You want to know why I'm here? You want to know why we're here, Grace Family Church? We're here for good. That's why we're here. We are here for good. And I love, uh, I mean, remember, this is, this is Paul building up to when he says, for this is God's will for your life. He's building up to that line. What is God's will for my life? We're here for good. And I love the phrase because it has a double meaning. Because when you say I'm here for good, it literally means we are here for good, to bring good, to be bearers of good in this world, to be bearers ultimately of the good news. It's the same word, good news, the gospel. That's why we're here. We're here to bring the gospel of good news, of hope, of love, of salvation, of restoration, of a savior, of a father. For you, for your marriage, for your business, for your future, for your addiction, for your friends, for your family, for our nation, and for this world. This is good news. It's good news. And we're called to be bearers of good news. Not just in word. I'm not talking about evangelizing on the street. I'm talking about being bearers of good in our deeds, in our, the way we carry ourselves, in our posture towards those around us, that we are sons and daughters of the King. I mean, we, I had an opportunity to go away to the bush, um, to the Kruger, a, a pastor in Middleburg has a person who owns a, a, a game farm in Kruger, and they had a week where it wasn't, they didn't have any bookings, and so they phoned the pastor and said, do you have any, we would love to bless some, some pastors, and, and can, you, can you fill out, amen, I was there. I'm sipping Amarula with ice in an infinity pool with elephants coming past me, you know. <laughs> Suffering for Jesus. <laughs> you know what? And people, and, 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 and I know there are comments on the, on, the, on the Facebook picture. I didn't even want to post it because I knew people would say, oh, check out the pastor. Hey, yes, Lani. Well, nice to be a pastor. I only work on a Sunday. <laughs> you know what? I'm actually going to stop apologizing because I'm a son of the king and I have favor on my life because of that. And if God wanted to use a, a time like that to bless a week, hey man, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to receive it. Why am I here? We're here for good. Now there's a second meaning to that. Because when someone says I'm here for good, what does it mean? It also means like I'm here to stay. Like, hey, do you like your job? I love my job. I'm here, I'm here for good. I'm not going anywhere. I, and I love that. That's important because in a world that seems at times to be anything but good, in a world that's on its head in many ways, in a world where we do, we do not help the weak, where we anything but kind to one another, where we do not live in peace with one another, all these things Paul speaks, in that kind of world, we must have the courage and the resilience to say we are here for good. We are not going anywhere. 
COVID can come, economies can think, governments can, we are here for good. As the church, as the body of Christ, as the bearers of good news, despite all of that, we are here for good. You just try stop us. We're not going anywhere. You try steal our hope. You try make us stop loving one another and making a difference in the world. Just try it. Jesus said that, that, that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Come on, I'm preaching here this morning. I'm here to bring good news, a good word today that I think will, I want to light us up this morning. I want us to be on fire for God. Some of us, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I heard someone say this. It's a, it's a hard word to hear, but some of you need to hear this. You know Jesus just enough to be miserable. You know Jesus, you, you, your salvation is secured, you're a Christian, you, you come to church, you do all that stuff. But you know what? You actually haven't given all of yourself to God. And you're suffering for it, man. I don't stand to benefit from that. I'm just saying you, you're missing out on the abundant life that God has for you. But you have to lay some stuff down. <laughs> you have to give up some stuff. I believe this word can bring life to you. I believe it can set you on fire today. Wesley, John Wesley says, light yourself on fire and people will come from miles to watch you burn. He says, when the world gets dark, make it your business to light fires. Let's be that. People ask, why do we have such fancy big air cons? And I'm telling you, we have big fancy air cons because I want the people here to be so on fire for God, we've got to cool you down. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes the fans kick in here. Anyway, why am I here? Why are you here? You're here for good. This is your calling. This is your purpose. You might have heard Christians say, you know, God has a purpose and a plan for your life. Have you ever heard that? Jeremiah 29, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And I think we sometimes think that that good means God's going to give us, uh, you know, cars and blessings and take away our suffering and all this stuff. But, but that's really not what this verse is about. It doesn't say for your good. It says for the good. When we ask questions, why am I here? What am I supposed to do with my life? What's God's will for my life? So often we tend to think of our job. We tend to think of where we're supposed to live geographically. Is, am I supposed to marry this person or that person? And let me just say this. God's plan for your life has little to do with your job or a geographical location. God can use you and will use you whatever job you decide to take. He can bless you and use you no matter who you decide to spend your life with. It's less about what job you do and more about how you do your job. It's less about where you live and what city you live and more about what you do in that place for God. It's more about who you are than where you are. Some people, perhaps maybe you're one of them, some people believe that I am what I do and you know, who I am is what I do and, and, and what I do is who I am. And the reason I know you believe this is because I have believed it many times and I can fall into that tra a, a trap. A lot of times I feel like I'm only as good as my last sermon. And the church can be like that sometimes. You know, you preach, you, the person comes to your church for 10 years, you're preaching every week, give, pouring your guts out, and you say one thing in a sermon that offends them and they leave the church. You know, it's crazy, man. And I understand that why I, I would feel that way because since becoming a Christian, I've heard many times people say, God wants to use you. And I get it. But sometimes that can get a bit warped in our heads because when you use something, it's like you use a, it's like a product, that thing. It's like I use my fork 
to eat and I use my car to drive somewhere. And when we see God like that, we sometimes lose sight of him as a father. A father, no father uses his children. A father who uses his children is not a good father. So we lose sight of the fact that before I was someone God wanted to use, I was someone that he loved. And before we carry on, I want to say, some of you need to hear that. Some of you need to stop believing the lie that if you don't measure up to some expectation of performance that you don't have worth as a person. Christ is in you. You are enough through him. You're not just someone God wants to use. You're someone he loves. That's not to say God won't use us. Of course, he, he, he uses us to accomplish his will on earth, but it's out of a place of love. And it's out of that place, out of a place of identity in him, of knowing who we are in him, that we have an inheritance, that we are sons and daughters. That's where we find our true purpose. And that's what this is actually about. This is about our purpose. Human beings are wired for purpose. We, 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 we're here for good. We're not content to merely live out our lives and pay bills and survive day to day. We must seek and find purpose and meaning in life, for without it, we are perpetually dissatisfied. John F. Kennedy said this, efforts and courage are not enough without purpose and direction. The purpose you choose to follow in your life, it should be one that captures your heart and, 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 and we talk about vocation and all the calling, that stuff. But, it, but it's also got to go beyond yourself. I think that's where the world kind of gets it wrong because the secular world makes purpose all about me, my happiness, my contentment, my satisfaction, my success. And it's not that that's untrue, but it's missing another component. <laughs> Albert Schweitzer says this. He's famous for a life of service to others. And he said this. Each individual must find a cause bigger than self in order to achieve ultimate happiness. Ryan Holiday, in a book I recently read called Stillness is the Key, he says, a person who makes selfish choices or acts contrary to their conscience will never be at peace. A person who sits back while others suffer or struggles or struggle will never feel good, or feel that they aren't enough, no matter how much they accomplish or how impressive their reputation may be. A person who does good regularly will feel good. A person who contributes to their community will feel like they are part of one. Why are we here? We're here for good. And it feels good when we do. <laughs> That's the kickback. That's the paradox. Pa purpose is not some abstract notion. It's not some vision board. It actually has hands and feet. We discover purpose not simply to live better or be better, but to make a difference in the world. And every person we meet, every situation we face, whether it's the person behind the counter or the person at the garage station or the person who works alongside us or our spouse or our children, is an opportunity to prove that. It's like the old Boy Scout matter, a motto, do a good turn daily. Some good turns are big and some are small, but they all matter. It's why addictions groups, uh, 12 steps group, the, one of the steps is to do service for others. Why? It's not because a deed can undo a past or because good deeds earn favor with God, but because they help us to get out of our own heads. They help us to get perspective to our problems and in the process help to create better futures for ourselves and for the world. As Holiday explains, he says, if we want to be good and feel good, we have to do good. There is simply no escaping this so reach out when you hear a cry for help 
Do something about a need you see around you. Show kindness wherever you can. Tell the truth. Keep your word. Don't gossip about that person. I'm telling you because you'll have to find a way to live with yourself if you don't. (laughs) And that actually sucks the peace right out of your life. I love this song, my wife will know, Stay Humble and Kind by Tim McGraw. It's like a country song. I'm a, I'm a, closet, I'm a closet country fan. Um, no ways. Um, listen to the words. I love this song. And we get our kids to sing this song. It's, it's awesome. Hold the door. Say please. Say thank you. Don't steal. Don't cheat. And don't lie. I know you've got mountains to climb, but always stay humble and kind. When the dreams you're dreaming come to you, when the work you put in is realized, Let yourself feel the pride, but always stay humble and kind. Don't expect a free ride from no one. Don't hold a grudge or a chip, and here's why. Bitterness keeps you from flying. Always stay humble and kind. Don't take for granted the love this life gives you. When you get where you're going, don't forget to turn back around and help the next one in line. Always stay humble and kind. (laughs) Sounds a bit like the Apostle Paul. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. Always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. In other words, love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's the one commandment. It's the new commandment Jesus gives to us. It's the commandment that sums all the other commandments up. Love, oh. (laughs) It's quite convenient. You can scratch your eye from the side. Um, <laughs> sorry, breaking the moment. How do we do this? That's the question. And we've got a few more minutes left. How do we do this? If we're here for good, if that's God's will for our lives, how do we do it? Well, Paul is not done. Verse 16, 17, and 18. This is the part we've been getting to. Remember I said, this is God's will for your life? Well, here's the three things he says. And I think there are three great steps in how we can be here for good. You ready? Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And you know what's so interesting? Those are three verses. Sometimes it's like a verse can be like a whole paragraph. Verse 16, rejoice always. Verse 17, pray continually. Verse 18, give thanks. It's like, why? Because I think the writer is trying to say, hey man, these things are like a verse in themselves. (laughs) They're so important. These are the steps. This is God's will for your life. So we're gonna kind of run through these these last three. Rejoice always. The, the, The ESV says rejoice evermore. Rejoice is a primary verb. It means to be cheerful. It means to be calmly happy. I love that, to be calmly happy. Evermore means every when. It means all the time, in good times and bad, when things are going well and when they aren't. We sung the song, you're more than enough. When it feels like when there's not enough, you're enough. When it is enough, you're enough. It doesn't, in good times and bad. Interesting, that's how couples often start their marriage off. Right? They make vows that say, in, in, in good times and bad, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others rejoice always and i think this rejoice it's also around this idea of celebration i mean i'm telling you celebration is as, is at the heart of the way of christ 
I mean, Old and New Testament, there is just full of celebrations and weddings and feasts. God actually commands his people to feast. To, when they win a battle, they command it to celebrate the battle, to celebrate the win. We understand fasting, going without. We don't understand feasting, I think, enough. Celebration brings joy into life, and joy makes us strong. Nehemiah 8 verse 10, for the joy of the Lord is my strength. We cannot continue long in anything without joy. And joy is a fruit of the Spirit. But I think by far and away the most important benefit of rejoicing always, of celebration, is that it saves us from taking ourselves too seriously. And I'm telling you, Christians need this so desperately. <laughs> it's like an occupational hazard of Christians to become stuffy bores. <laughs> this should not be. Jesus was fun to hang around with. His first miracle turned 70 liters of water into wine when they already had had too much wine. He rejoiced so fully, he was accused of being a drunkard and a glutton. Look it up. Some of you, you live such sour lives, you're proud that you could never be accused of that. Am I, am I speaking okay here? Rejoice always. Pray continually. King James Version says, pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean we're just constantly, you know, with our Bible praying. It means that we're constantly in communication with our Father, on our way to work, it, you know, as we're about to walk into that meeting, as someone's saying something and we, it's triggering something in us. It's, it's constant communication with the Father. It's talking and listening. It's singing. It's listening to the whisper of God through a song, through a conversation, through a sunset, through a friend. It's not prayer for prayer's sake. It's, it's conversations with my wife is not for, for conversation's sake. It's, for, it's so our relationship can, can grow stronger so that we can be in sync with one another. Our marriage will fall apart very, very quickly if we never communicate. So why do we expect our relationship to God to just, if we're not communicating? That's what prayer is. We're here for good. And if we want to do good and be good, if we want to see this through, if we want to stick with it for the long haul, I'm telling you, prayer is essential. Can I say that again? Yeah. Write it in big notes if you're a note taker. Prayer is essential. And no one would call me a big prayer warrior, I promise you. But I've come to believe and realize the power of prayer. Like I said, I was away in the bush um, for a few days. And one of the, the pastors there, um, who's kind of played a mentoring role to me over the years, he, he opened his book on one of the days. And he has this journal. And it's just, it's just weathered. And you can see he opens it every day. And the pages are bent over and there's just writing page after page of writing and he said come let me show you this and he showed me literally pages and pages of names of church leaders around our country and he says here look at this and he draws his finger down he says there's your name tom jess will luke and he says you know what i pray for you every single day I know how much I pray for our kids and how much we worry about our kids. And, but to think that there's a man in Joburg who wakes up and prays for Will and Luke, it's unbelievable. Prayer is powerful. And I honestly do believe that God has protected us as a family because of his prayers. Pray without ceasing. Rejoice always. And then finally, give thanks in everything. 
Everything literally means all things. The good and the bad. Always. Here's what I know. No matter what we're going through. I'm, I mean, some of us, some of you have, have had terrible experiences, terrible years. You've had loss. You've had pain. You've, you've wept. But I know this, that there's always something to be thankful for in every circumstance. And I think the best way to give thanks is, is to give. That's why for Thanksgiving Sunday, what do we do? We give away stuff. We, we sacrifice ourselves to give to others. You know, someone, um, I was praying with these guys, and one of the guys are doing a big building project, and they got a, a hundred grand um, that someone donated to their building project. And honestly, I mean, I'm just being honest here. My honest thought was, wow, that's nice for them. How come God doesn't ever do that for us, you know? I'm not even joking. Very soon after that, I get an SMS from Dave Richter, our missions and justice coordinator. You know what he says? Hey, Tom, guess what? Someone just gave us 100,000 rand to fill buckets. It was like God was reminding me, like, (laughs) watch me. Always give thanks. We give thanks to God because he's been so generous to us. We're generous because he's a generous God to us. I remember one year um, we decided to do something different on Thanksgiving Sunday. It was a few years ago. And we decided as the baskets go around, instead of people putting money into the baskets, we asked people to take money out. You guys, some of you remember that? We asked every single person who called called the great, pity it wasn't a COVID thing because a lot more people. Um, And they had to take out 25 rand, a 20 rand and a 5 rand. And then we told them, you can keep it or you can do something cool with it. And people did the most incredible things. Some people timed that by a thousand and gave it away. Some people took that, I mean, just incredible stories of, of generosity that came out of that. One guy actually sent us a picture recently that's what reminded me, and he's actually got a frame in his office with the 20 rand and the five rand coin, reminding him of, of what God has done for him in his life was a profound moment. I thought, Flip, you should have used that money. Anyway, bought the frame. But anyway. <laughs> um, I know it's been a tough year. But it's not over yet. And you're here for good. And we are here for good. We're not going anywhere. And even as I was worshiping and and praying before, uh, my heart broke for, for, for you. Honestly, I was praying for you guys. And there's some of you, you are struggling right now. And your hearts have become hard. And like I said, you know just enough of Jesus to be miserable. And I think God wants to break something in you today. I think God wants to release something in your life. And I can see the Holy Spirit even now working in people's hearts and lives. Because God is here. And God has a plan for you. And God has a purpose for your life. There are good things in store. My prayer is that in the midst of whatever it is you're facing, that you would have the courage and the strength to rejoice always. To pray continually. And to give thanks And then he says this, for this is God's will for your life in Christ Jesus. And let me just end by saying this, in Christ Jesus is no small thing. We are in Christ. Paul writes in Colossians, Paul, an apostle, in Christ, in Colossae. And he puts in Christ before in Colossae. That's important because before you're in Durban, before you're in Unilever, before you're in this building, you are in Christ. 
And I'm telling you, we can go out to the bush and the, you know, have these amazing experiences sipping Amarula with infinity pools. But I'm telling you, until we get the garden, the, until we get that in us, we will always be seeking this next holiday, this next break, this next thing. God is Christ in us, the hope of glory. We can have that experience, that sense of peace, that wide, good, spacious, flowing with milk and honey. We can have it in our lives now, in Christ Jesus. So I'm going to ask you to stand. And we're not going to close with music or anything like that. We're just going to open our hands as a sign of saying, God, I'm here to receive. You don't have to do it. If you're not ready to make that decision, maybe you're just checking us out. That's fine. But for those of you here, you say, you know what? I actually want more for my life. I'm done with playing small. I'm done with half measures. I want all of what God has for me. You can just put your hands open like this and just receive what Christ has for you. And maybe there's some of you, you've never actually given your life to Christ. You come to church, you go through the motions, you know about God, but you don't actually have a relationship with Him where you can talk to Him and communicate and He can tell you stuff and show you things. Right where you are, you can just pray a very simple prayer that simply says, Christ, I receive you into my life. Christ, I receive you. Thank you for what you've done for me. I receive it. I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. And if that's you, won't you just indicate that to me by raising your hand? Thank you. Thank you. If, I see many, many hands. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing. Thank you, God, that you have a plan for these people's lives, for our lives. Do your work. Have your way. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit. If you've raised your hand, I encourage you to come forward. We have people who'd love to pray for you, walk with you, sh show you what the next step is. If you've never done our engage process, uh, meet Wes. He would love to, to get connected with you, get your number, and we can help you on this journey. You don't have to do that, but, but it's important that you take a next step. And for the rest of us, I'd love to just pray. Father, we thank you for what has taken place here this morning. We thank you for your Holy Spirit at work in our lives. We thank you that you never leave us nor forsake us, that you are here for good and we are here for good. Thank you for these buckets. I pray every bucket would get to the family that needs it most and that it would be a blessing to people over this festive season. Thank you that we get to be part of that. Unlock generosity, unlock favor in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful week. And we'll see you next time. Thank you so much.